Well, well, all right. Once again, hello to all of y'all, to all of our listeners out there in points throughout the Cotton Belt. We want to welcome you back to the Cotton Companion podcast, wherever you may be listening to us from from California all the way through to the Carolinas. Uh, we welcome you. We're glad to have you with us again. We are back with this, the 18th episode of the world-famous Cotton Companion podcast. Uh, I say we are back, and I mean it quite literally this time. We, uh, Jim and I, spent last week up at our corporate offices uh, at Maestro Media Worldwide offices in Willoughby, Ohio. That's right there outside of Cleveland, Ohio. And uh, it was a big week for us. We had a good time. We love getting to see, you know, for those of you who don't know, we are in a small sort of satellite office here in Memphis. And so... The majority of our company always referred, you know, I say things like worldwide and the mothership. It's really not that big of a company. It's about, what do you think, 100 folks up there? At least 100, yes. So um, we love getting to see all those folks, all of the support staff who work so hard to uh, support the various efforts that we do throughout, throughout the year. Good time. Love to see those people. Made some terrible food choices. Um, Ate a bunch of Applebee's and Texas Roadhouse and there were great there was gravy involved and a lot of bread just really bad not a very healthy healthy <laughs> lifestyle for you there back no, it's not and I, and I say that knowing that I was right there with him the whole time too yeah, yeah I feel like I need like a supervisor when I go on the road <laughs> telling me what I can and can't eat um but we had a good time the uh Cavs were in the playoffs up there I almost went to the Cavs playoff game thought better of that $120 it was going to cost me to go watch a team that I have no emotional attachment to um but had a good time nonetheless Jim what were some highlights from Cleveland for you oh I think first of all uh it's uh I'm I'm, I'm almost awaiting a phone call from our friends in Willoughby asking us to come back uh when since you consider the Cavs did so well while we were both up there uh they've gone on the road since we left and have dropped two games not looking real good. I'm I'm expecting a, expecting a call to say, "Come back. We need you back up here." Bring that good mojo. Yeah, bring bring the good mojo back up here. So oh. I don't I don't know if it's it. You know, hopefully it's not the Memphis Grizzlies mojo, and we <laughs> and we start you know dropping players like flies. If we go up there, the whole team's liable to twist a knee or something. Yeah. So so I think we can find something else to do. But otherwise, no. It's always good to get back up and and see people. The weather was great. Uh, it was comfortable, although it did snow up there briefly the day before we went up. The day before we got there, crazy to think about. It was snowing uh, in late May or third week of but May. But, hey, that's life in the north. It is. Uh, for our purposes, life in the south, life in the cotton belt. Uh, like I say, today is Tuesday, May 24. We are well and truly deep into planting season now. I know many of you are already put away with the planter. Some of y'all are still out there. Actually, I don't want to step on Jim's toes because he's going to give a crop progress report here in the next segment. So uh, we know that it's still plant season out there. It's still hashtag plant 16 as I see y'all posting on various social media sites. Um, I feel I talked to a buddy of mine this morning down in the Mississippi Delta. He said they're done planting and they're laying some pipe around their corn fields now and just getting ready to put some water on. So it's that time of year. It's a fun time. It's it's a uh, it's a neat time for us. Plant season puts us in a good mood when we see all the possibilities that are out there. So uh, with that in mind, I do want to pause and make a plug for this very own podcast, as I've done the past couple of times. I'll keep it brief. It's plant season. It's production season. You are in the cab of the tractor and in the cab of the truck. 
There's only so much radio you can listen to. I know this for a fact because I used to live it every summer when I was working on the farm. After umpteen days in a row, I just cannot listen to the local sports radio station any longer. So you utilize our podcast this production season. We put out an episode every other week, and uh, we hope we pack it with good, useful, and entertaining information for you. Uh, utilize the Cotton Companion podcast when you can. Tell your buddies about us. We want to do you a service and keep you informed and entertained while you're in the cab of that tractor this summer, and uh, we hope that you will be plugging in. So, enough of my evangelizing on our own behalf. I want to tell you about our show today. We've got a great one lined up for you. We're going to start like we always do with Jim here leading us in a brief discussion of the latest breaking cotton news from around the globe. Um, we've got some big stuff happen this week. Like I say, he's giving us a crop progress report. And then what do we have, Jim? we got some big possible potential merger news. There's a potential merger on the horizon, and then there's some also some news out of EPA that may not make the cotton market very happy, but oh, we'll talk yeah. about it anyway. Man, that's a, that's a bummer of a story. we got to start doing, like, you know how the local news segments will include, like, just like a story about a fireman rescuing a cat from a tree or something? Right. Well, that's really what our crop progress is. There you go. That's the happy news. we got to start doing at least one happy item in these things. So, anyhow, uh, we're going to get deeper into that, obviously, in the next segment. After that, Jim ventured all the way across the street to the Agri-Center here in Memphis uh, just yesterday, right? Absolutely. And spoke with Tennessee's own extension expert, uh, Dr. Mike Bushermole, right? Uh, Jim, tell us a little bit about what that interview was about. Uh, Mike was in town uh, to speak to the Memphis Ag Club. And uh, for those of you that, that don't know Mike, Mike is... Uh, is a professor in the Biosystems Engineering and Soil Science Department at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. And uh, uh, he works on the extension side, and he's basically at this point in his career their precision ag specialist. So he was, uh, he was visiting with, uh, with the Ag Club yesterday and talking about uh, items and, and trends in precision ag that, uh, that are currently having an impact on not only on cotton but on all crops. Uh, in this area and some of the trends that he sees coming for the future. So uh, after after his presentation, uh, we did sit down and do a, a short interview, which we'll be bringing to you uh, later in this podcast. Yeah, you know, we talk frequently throughout the year. I consult whenever I have to do a, a, a precision ag story about anything under that big umbrella of precision ag. I call Dr. Ed Barnes, Cousin Ed, as I call him. You know, I got... <laughs> I got cousin cousin Ed Barnes over there at Cotton Inc. and I got cousin uh, oh what's the Barnes on the Memphis Grizzlies team? Oh Matt Barnes. Matt Barnes, yeah Matt Barnes. Yeah, the brawler, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know I'm I'm more of the brawler side of the family. Uh, cousin, I can I can see that. Cousin Ed got all of the brains. Uh, anyhow, no, he is uh, obviously Dr. Ed Barnes at Cotton Inc. is one of the foremost sort of precision experts in this country and so he's a great resource for us we lean on him whenever we're able to but he has been saying pounding this drum for years that it's years like this one where prices are lagging that precision agriculture really pays its dividends uh, when the margins are so thin you know that little bit you can save on a uh, uh, nitrogen application uh, uh, or something to that effect that you're using precision practices on can mean the difference between coming out in the red or coming out in the black at the end of the year. So precision, a big thing that we would encourage you guys to be open-minded about, especially in a year like this one. And there's no better place to start than with somebody like Dr. Bushermole, who was kind enough to sit down with us 
yesterday. So we hope you'll stay tuned in for that one. Yeah, and, and not to backtrack very much, but going back to your plug about you know listening, yeah. participating, listening to the podcast. One of the trends that that Mike talked about yesterday was auto steer, and how uh, how auto steer has really just kind of freed the the tractor operators up to you know make the turn at the end row. Uh, watch the watch everything settle back in, and then all they're doing is is just watching, talking on the phone, enjoying life, and it's a great time to uh, to pull the cotton companion up and and listen. There you go, there you go. We are doing our part to evangelize on our own behalf. <laughs> well done, Jim. So uh, enough of the intro here. We're gonna take a brief break, and then we're gonna breeze through the news of the day, as promised with Jim leading that discussion. So hang with us through this break and we will be right back with you. Cotton Grower Magazine has the honor of saluting exceptional sacrifice and contribution to the cotton industry through our annual Cotton Grower Cotton Achievement Award. Since 1970, Cotton Grower has handed out this distinguished honor to one individual who demonstrates tireless dedication to the cotton industry through involvement, innovation, and leadership in those issues that have a large impact on U.S. cotton as a whole. Achievement Award winners are chosen after extensive research and thoughtful input from around the industry. Cotton Grower offers sincere gratitude to Case IH and to Delta Pine for sponsoring the Cotton Grower Cotton Achievement Award. In joining the effort to recognize and honor industry leaders, these companies demonstrate their devotion to the cotton industry and their desire to see growers succeed. Well, welcome back. Uh, as Beck said, we're going to spend a little time going through the uh, a couple of the, the key stories in the cotton industry this week, and we'll start with the good news. Uh, we'll start with the USDA's crop progress report that was issued uh, on May 23rd, uh, showing uh, at this point, at this time of the year, uh, we're looking at a uh, 46% of the U.S. cotton crop currently in the ground, and that's based on the 15 states that plant 99% of the cotton acreage. Uh, that 46% is really and truly, it's it's 6% increase over, over where we were a week ago, and is just a shade behind the five-year average. So I think for the most part, um, the cotton crop is pretty much right on schedule. Now, when you go in and, and dive down into the individual state uh, numbers, what you find is uh, in the past week, we've had double-digit increases in planting in 10 states. Uh, Louisiana kind of led the charge with a 25% increase in, in their acres, but you also had re really good coverage or really good work, field work or, or increases in Alabama, Arkansas, Georgia, Louisiana, Mississippi, North Carolina, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Virginia. Uh, again, even though even though the overall crop percentage of planting at this point is a little bit behind the five-year average, there are still seven states out there that are ahead of their five-year average. Uh, Missouri's kind of leading the way at that point, um, and uh, also followed by Arkansas, Arizona, Alabama, Mississippi, uh, Oklahoma, and Tennessee. So it's it's good to see that that we've got. People are taking advantage of good weather and uh, and enough good soil moisture to to get out uh, and and move things quickly along in as far as planting is concerned. Uh, over the, sometime over the next couple of weeks, we will start getting reports 
uh, as part of the crop progress report in terms of emergence. So uh, once those numbers start coming in, we'll start sharing those with you as well. That's the good news. Now to the, uh, to the not so happy news. Uh, we have three states sitting there right now, uh, Arkansas, Mississippi, and Tennessee, waiting on a decision from EPA about uh, a Section 18 emergency use for transform for plant bug control this season. And those of you who grow cotton in the Mid-South realize just how valuable a product transform can be for plant bug control. Uh, those decisions are still pending. I think the uh, comment period on those ended late last week. So we should be hopefully be getting indications pretty soon on uh, particularly as, as use season is coming up on whether those Section 18s are going to be, uh, be, be ready for us or not. But at the same time, it's become apparent EPA is looking in a different direction for a proposed re-registration of the product. Uh, according to some of the information we've, we've been able to, to get, and these are from folks like the National Cotton Council and other sources, EPA's new proposed registration decision for sulfoxifor, which is the, the chemical name for transform, is focusing on registration for the only on selected agricultural crops, ornamentals, and turf, which means what they call indeterminate blooming crops, which include cotton, citrus, soybeans, and other crops that were covered under the original label, are not going to be included in this newly proposed registration. Now, as EPA always does in something like this, they've opened up a 30-day public comment period that is running now and will end on June 17th for this new label. Uh, needless to say, the National Cotton Council is preparing comments in response to this. They are encouraging others in the cotton industry, and that means everyone listening to this podcast or related to anyone listening to this podcast uh, it's urging them to, to participate as well. If you go online to, uh, to cottongrower.com, you'll find an article uh, about this new transform label. And in that article, there is a link directly to the regulations.gov website uh, that will take you to that comments page where you'll be able to, uh, to express your opinions. So again, it, uh, it, it's an interesting situation. It's kind of a sad situation. Uh, but let's, uh, you know, we have an opportunity at least as an industry to, uh, to have a voice in this and, and hopefully we'll get, uh, get some good action or some positive action or a change uh, coming from EPA based on their current thinking. Yeah, that's another, and I hate the idea of victimhood, making yourself a victim or something, but gosh, it sure seems like cotton is the whipping boy on stuff like this more often than not, you know, singled out of that uh, EPA legislation I've, there. Well, and when you sit back and consider everything else that's going on in the industry, uh, the fact that we're still dealing with, with prices that are, you know, pretty range-bound in a about a five-cent range, uh, moving into, a, you know, a second, you know, second year, third year of those, uh, you're still looking at, at influences from other countries, uh, as, as some growers have told me, it's like it's, it almost feels like we're being piled on. Yeah. At this point, uh, I don't think it's I don't think it's a concerted effort by anyone. You know, certainly no conspiracy theories here. It's just yeah. sort of the way things seem to be falling at this point. But uh, needless to say, it doesn't make things any easier. Uh, and uh, all we can do is sit back and hope for a uh, you know 
a, a change of attitude or a change of mind and uh, and that folks will actually start looking at the science behind the products rather than the emotional side. Well, to be sure, we can, we can do more than hope. I mean, there's an open comment period, right? Absolutely. Again, this is one of those things where we would encourage you guys to get involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, June 17th is the last day. Yeah, I, I, I think that, I, and you know what, I was thinking about this as I was texting with one of my farmer buddies in the Delta this morning. You guys as growers really have more of a voice, I think, than, than you realize sometimes. I mean, when you're asked to comment on stuff like this, when you when you can represent your industry in any capacity, you know, the general public, although it doesn't always feel like it, has a soft spot for the American farmer, you know. So, you know, if, if you're given a platform, if you're given an opportunity like this to go to bat on behalf of the industry, by all means, the editorial stance at Cotton Grower Magazine is go do it. Yeah, we're 100% behind you. Yeah. So, anyhow, enough of me soapboxing. Well, you know, it's good to soapbox every now and then. Yeah. We're, we're both guilty of it. Yeah. And I know a lot of people in the industry who are guilty of it as well. Right. And that's, and that's what makes this industry so much fun. Uh, our last news item is one I'm sure everybody has probably caught wind of at this point, and that is the offer that Bayer has made to acquire Monsanto. Uh, it's been rumored for the last several weeks that this might be in the works. Uh, there were also rumors out there that BASF may be in the, uh, you know, circling Monsanto, taking a look to uh, for, an, for an acquisition bid of their own. But as this has, uh, has broken over the past week, uh, Bayer has, has released more details of their offer. Uh, they have made an all-cash offer uh, to acquire all issued an outstanding shares of common stock of Monsanto for basically $62 billion, and that's with a B, dollars. I'm, I kind of sound like O.A. Cleveland. I was going to say you sound like uh, Dr. Evil, or who was the bad guy from uh, from Austin Powers? One million dollars, <laughs> yes. billion, yeah. Yes, only this $62 billion, <laughs> yeah. you know, significantly more than uh, than Dr. Evil was ever worried about. Right. Right. Uh, the uh, the president or the chairman of Bayer uh, had a uh, had some discussions this week with financial analysts uh, talking about their uh, what they were doing, why they were doing it, and why it made sense. Uh, apparently, it's uh, as one of the, one of the things he said is this is something that apparently the two companies have discussed in the past. Whether that's true or not, I have no idea. I can only go by what what they're saying here. But obviously saying the combined business would benefit from Monsanto's leadership in seeds and traits, as well as Bayer's broad crop protection product line across a whole range of, uh, of crops and other indications. Uh, under this proposed transaction, the combined business uh, will have its global seeds and traits and North American commercial headquarters in St. Louis at the current Monsanto site. The global crop protection and divisional crop science headquarters will be in uh, Mannheim, Germany, where Bayer is headquartered, uh, and the company will maintain then uh, a, what they what they're calling important presence presences in Durham, North Carolina, and other locations uh, throughout the U.S. and the world. And I'm sure that also includes their Lubbock, Texas operation at this point. Uh, there is a lot to hap- a lot of things that have to happen. Uh, to make this deal done. Uh, there are no guarantees, obviously, that, that Monsanto will accept the offer. 
there are some rumblings that uh, that some bear shareholders are not really happy with the decision to do this. So again, uh, this one is uh, it's truly it's interesting, but it's truly in the pending stages at this point. Unlike the uh, say the Dow Dupont deal, which is is currently moving moving right along, and uh, we expect a little bit more information on on that. Uh, sometime within the next couple of months, uh, and certainly with the uh, the Kim China acquisition of proposed acquisition of Syngenta, uh, those seem to be moving along just uh, as well as possible. So, yeah. once more, changes in the industry. Yes, yeah, it seems like it's a season of of mergers. Mergers are in the air. To be sure, you know that one, this one in particular, Bayer and Monsanto. Just to kind of pull the per- curtain back would be a big one for Cotton Grower Magazine. I know it would have a, a big fallout. I mean, those three cotton brands that are represented there, as you know, if you flip through the through the magazine at all, are big supporters of our magazine. And so we are, believe me when I tell you, we're watching this one closely. And, and I don't mean to trivialize it. I mean, there we have a, a slew, a black book full of contacts, um, at each of these two major ag companies and so we certainly we know that there's going to be some ramifications if this does go through and, and we wish the best for everybody mm-hmm. who we come in contact with and uh, know that they're extremely talented people on both sides of that deal and, and have uh, every confidence that everyone there is going to, going to land on their feet no matter well, what comes. And, and I think as we've seen before the last time we went through mergers in uh, in this business and they always seem to run in cycles. Um, there are always all it takes is, is one one deal to start the dominoes falling, and that's really what's happened here, or appears to be happening here. Um, as you get into, you start looking again at the details of what may or may not happen in a merger like Bayer and Monsanto. Uh, there are some conflicts uh, that would have to be negotiated and resolved. Uh, there may be some products, there may be some product lines, there may be some divisions that are spun off and sold to other companies. So, uh, you know, I I think long-term, you're still going to end up with with three very strong seed brands. Where they're going to be resting, I don't know at this point. Uh, You're also going to have some very good, strong, very strong crop protection products, particularly weed control. Don't know where where or how that might shake out. Yeah. So, again, stay tuned. I don't think we're going to, we won't lose any products. We're just not going to have to, we're just not going to be sure where they end up. Right. At this point. And they may end up exactly where they are if this whole deal doesn't go. Yeah. You know, the last time something of this nature happened with these particular brands, when Monsanto came in and and bought or merged with, however the preferred terminology is there, with Delta Pine. And uh, somehow I was, my mom was there. This was all, I mean, I was raised right outside of Scott, Mississippi, where Delta Pine's was located at the time. My mom worked there, and so I should have a better understanding of how this all went down. But you know, my memory's fuzzy. I can't remember what I had for lunch yesterday. So, but I but I know that uh, Stoneville was spun off from that deal, right? Exactly. I mean, they, they they divested themselves of this seed brand that was considered excess at the time. Stoneville didn't go anywhere. No. You know, in fact, they had the number one most planted variety in the nation in 2015 in uh, 46, 47. I'm trying to remember. Please don't blow my cell phone up. Uh, Stoneville guys, um, but you, the point being, yeah, I don't think that we have to worry about any. You, you guys don't have to worry about your favorite variety going away anytime soon. 
there's going to be some shifting, but uh, I think all the all the your favorite products are going to come out available to you just like they always have been. Mm-hmm. So anyhow, that's Jim and Beck discuss a business merger that. Once again, you ask you ask two journalists <laughs> to sit here and, and do financial analysis. Yeah, it's, this it's, is how uh, corporate mergers work from your yeah, you own as journalism yeah, major. Yeah, get, get a very large container of salt yeah. to go with everything that we have <laughs> that we have talked about. Right. So, anyhow, uh, again, best of luck to all those folks who are with those two companies as we watch how this one plays out. Uh, I do want to halt us right there. We want to take a quick break, and when we come back, like we mentioned earlier, we want to bring you Jim's interview with uh, University of Tennessee ex- Precision Extension Expert, Extension Precision Expert, I should say, Dr. Mike Bushermole, who was kind enough to sit down with us yesterday. So stick with us, and when we come back, you will hear that interview. Welcome back to uh, to the Cotton Companion. We're here in Memphis today with Dr. Mike Bouchermol. It's with the uh, the Biosystems Engineering and Soil Science Department uh, with the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. Mike, thank you for joining us today. Well, I appreciate the invitation, Jim. Uh, just uh, you, you've just met with the Memphis Ag Club and, uh, and made a great presentation on precision agriculture and some of the technologies that are involved uh, in the industry at this point. If I'm a cotton grower. What are the things, what are the basic things that I should be looking at from a precision ag perspective and why? I think two of the technologies that are probably should be rapidly adopted is one is section control on sprayers. We make a tremendous amount of passes across the field to control diseases and insects and that technology can give us chemical savings, labor savings. Uh, some of the work we've done here in Tennessee, we're seeing an average of around 8% savings by using you know, sprayer section control and planter control. When we start looking at section control on planters, you know, typical seed costs for us are somewhere in the neighborhood of $100 an acre. And some of the work that we've done in the past at University of Tennessee and UT Extension is we're seeing an average savings in our state somewhere around 5%. So if you're farming, you know, a thousand acres, 5% seed savings can add up quite a bit and pay for the technology fairly rapidly. Okay. What about the planting technology that growers have are available to growers today? Uh, obviously in, in West Tennessee or in parts of the Mid-South, you're dealing with fields that are kind of irregularly shaped, uh, but there's some technologies out there to help cover a lot of ground in a short period of time. Uh, particularly when you're dealing with weather windows and things like that. Uh, one of the, the newest technologies out there is, is really these planters that are capable of, of going high speed. Uh, we're currently looking at uh, one of the high speed planters and, and he's typically been planting in the neighborhood of 8 to 10 miles an hour so we can cover a lot more acres in, in a typical day. <clears throat> Still with the technology, the, the, the seed placement is pretty phenomenal and so you know, you're looking at trying to get planted in a in a smaller window, then you either go wider or you go faster. And so there's already been wide planters out, and now we're looking at faster and, and trying to gather information to be able to help producers make the decision on your farm size and shapes, which is better for you, wider or faster. Okay. Uh, I think most growers now are dealing with 
yield monitors, field mapping, and things like that. How does that information tie into some of the work that you're doing with these planters in terms of increasing efficiencies? Well, mainly we start looking at using yield data. It's primarily trying to create management zones in the field to define areas that are more productive or less productive, and then we're changing inputs in those areas, whether it be seed spacing or fertility or or, or whatever. And so uh, yield data is just a layer of information that producers are using to create these management zones and, and basically take a field and break it into smaller areas and not farm the field as a uniform entity. Okay. In these planters, are you dealing with planting one variety or can you put multiple varieties in the hoppers? Right now, there's, there's multi-variety planters. So we're carrying, you know, at least two varieties. So in, in parts of the field where variety A is, is more appropriate, you're planting variety A and as soon as you get into, you're, you're planting based on a prescription map. So as soon as you get into an area that's requiring for variety B, then you're switching over and, and so you're planting a different variety. Okay. I know in the, in, if, if you're dealing with these high-speed planters, these, the, the wider planters, how does that impact the other equipment needs that a grower is going to have to uh, to factor into this. I'm guessing just not any size tractor can can no, pull uh, these these monstrosities. No, when we start, well, I mean, even the wider planter, yeah, but even a 40 foot wide high speed planter, you're going to have to increase horsepower mm -hmm. to be able to to get those speeds that, that these things are capable of doing. So. Uh, you know, when you go to purchase a, a planter, you got to be looking at is your current equipment able to handle that planter, or even with a wider planter. I mean, the amount of weight we're carrying, tremendous amount of seed weight, and so mm -hmm. you need to match the right equipment in order to to increase your you know your efficiency. Okay. Speaking of those efficiencies, you you mentioned something in your in your discussion about. Uh, with the precision planting and with the variable rate fertilization and things like that, what kind of savings are you seeing from uh, in a cotton operation for for growers who are using these technologies? Well, from from the auto section control for sprayers, we're seeing about eight percent in our state. Average uh, for with um, planters, you know, with section control and planters, we're seeing about four and a half to five percent savings in seed costs. So, um, you know, it depends on the number of acres that you're planting and how fast you'll pay off the technology. Okay. Looking at the cost of equipment now and things, this is not, um, uh, most growers who are, who are using these technologies are going to be working on a pretty large scale operation. Is that correct? When you start adopting some of the technologies, you know, the size is not as critical, but when you start talking about you know trying to incorporate auto guidance with section control and planters in a high-speed planter, the the equipment costs are, are going to be pretty pretty high, and so you're looking at larger operations. There are technologies out there. A yield monitor is mm -hmm. is fairly uh, you know inexpensive technology compared to some of the others, and so a lot of people started out with, with a yield monitor and, and then have adopted other technologies as as they went along, but. Uh, there are technologies that are more geared toward a smaller grower. Okay. Looking ahead, uh, there's a whole laundry list, obviously, of, of precision ag technologies out there. Uh, what do you see coming down the pike soon or within the next few years that uh, just another tool or other tools that, that growers might be looking at or considering? I think what you'll see in the future is UAVs right now is a very hot topic. 
um, you know, we've been collecting remote sensing data for many years, but UAVs give us an opportunity. It's at the platform uh -huh. to capture, you know, data that, that we've seen before, but it's more real time. I think we'll see a lot of UAV application for what I call directed scouting, where we'll send a UAV up on top. I mean, if you've ever seen, you know, a video or a picture of a field that's taken from the air, you you see areas that you really need to go spend more time scouting in areas that you probably don't. So I think we'll get more efficient in our crop scouting and, and be able to make better management decisions. You know, the ultimate goal would be able to, to generate more information to be able to do, you know, verberate nitrogen application or, or picks or defoliants. You know, we're talking about cotton, which we can already do, but it's more real time. We can put it up and we just got to get the technology and, and, and the folks out there that'll, that'll be flying and, and generating the information. Yeah. I know the, the, the topic or the, the subject or title you gave your talk was we don't farm the same way your granddaddy did. And you, you mentioned your grandfather. And, uh, and the way he farmed in Kentucky is probably very similar to the way my grandfather did in East Tennessee uh, at that point. What would he think today if he could see some of these technologies? What do you think he would think? I, I think he would be pretty stunned. Uh, <laughs> you know, as a youngster, he, he they farmed a lot of corn. You know, later on, it was mainly tobacco and, and a little bit of crops. But he most, I think the biggest tractor he ever owned was a John Deere B. Um, 18 somewhere 18 horsepower and and you know had four row equipment and and so now to, to see an 80 foot wide planter being pulled by a 500 horsepower <laughs> tractor and a 120 foot spray boom I, I think the size of the equipment would stun him and and I think that the maybe the amount of technology and some of the complexity that comes with that technology uh, I'm sure he wouldn't want to even you know fathom how to how to operate it but I think those two things GPS I mean knowing where you are in the field and being able to put out something more than filling up the manure spreader and then taking the two draft horses out and spreading it out of the barn well Mike thank you I know uh, obviously precision ag has come a long way in the last uh, last couple of decades I'm sure we haven't seen the end of it at this point but uh, Anyway, Mike, thank you for joining us here on the Cotton Companion. Uh, we'll be right back with you after this short break. So, all right. Thank you, Jim and, and Dr. Bushermole, for that interview. Uh, that is going to just about do it for this installment the 18th installment of the cotton companion podcast the cotton companion is old enough to vote now so we're very proud of that uh, we want to thank you sincerely for joining us as always uh, if you like what you're hearing please by all means tell your farmer buddies about this podcast um, you can tell them that they can find us they can reach this podcast any of our archived episodes in three easy ways the first Simply go to cottongrower.com. That's the URL that you would type into your search bar, cottongrower.com, and search for the Cotton Companion there in the search bar on the homepage. Uh, once you're there, once you hit enter on that, you will be taken to a page that houses, I think, somewhere around 9 or 12 uh, episodes of the, of the podcast. Again, we're at 18, so you would have to go to page 2 to find um, some of the more latest ones but uh they're organized there the topic of each one is in the headline you should be able it's like a smorgasbord 
of audio entertainment. You pick the one you want to listen to and go for it. Uh, the second easy way to find us is by subscribing to our channel on iTunes. Uh, if you are familiar with iTunes on your smart on your smartphone, uh, just go ahead and subscribe to our channel. Leave us a rating. Let us know what you think of our pod. The third way and the best way, as far as I'm concerned, to reach the Cotton Companion podcast is to just sign up for our weekly Cotton Grower e-newsletter. Uh, Jim here works hard to pack that e-newsletter each week with all of the relevant news of the day, and uh, those things hit your email inbox every Tuesday morning. I believe this fall they will be going on Thursday mornings as well. They will as well. And uh, you can do that by simply, <laughs> excuse me, guys, <clears throat> simply going to cottongrower.com, Scroll to the bottom of the page and find the link there to subscribe to our e-newsletter. I promise you, you won't regret it. It'll have the, Those things have the podcast each week, as well as all of uh, the latest breaking news. You'll be the most informed guy at your morning coffee table. So go ahead and do that. Uh, also, please be sure to follow us uh, on the social media platforms if you're into that sort of thing. We are. We are uh, at Cotton Grower Mag on Twitter. And on Facebook, you can find us by simply searching for Cotton Grower Magazine. We uh, hope that you are enjoying our latest issue, which is the May issue. Um, we have a great story that's really picked up some traction online on, on various social media sites about how Kansas could be about to really expand its cotton acre, just kind of a, a neat little human interest story for those of us outside of Kansas. And for those in the Southwest, it's a story that you guys are familiar with. I mean, water... The water situation is, is growing more scarce, and so people are turning to less water-intensive crops, and lo and behold, there sits cotton. Uh, there's been some technological breakthroughs that make it more possible in Kansas, so it's, it's a neat story. It's, it's one that's uh, easy to follow. It's a good narrative story, so look for that one. There's also a nice feature in there about something that we talked about earlier today with um, oh, the, the EPA registration for transform and the troubles we're having there we have a nice feature in, in the may issue about some of the struggles that cotton producers have had with beekeepers over the past year and how that's kind of impacting maybe some potential legislation so good at good issue we hope that you are enjoying it we will be back with our june july issue in the first week of july right on the first week of july yeah so so be uh, be on the lookout for that one here in a little over a month this podcast is produced by the one and only Mr. Mark Antonelli, another of those guys who we went and visited last week uh, up in Willoughby, Ohio. He works there at the Mothership, Maestro Media Worldwide, in Willoughby. My name is Beck Barnes, and I will be back with you in two weeks for the next episode of the Cotton Companion Podcast. For now, on behalf of my own Cotton Companion, Jim Stebbin, we wish you and your farming operation all the best. <laughs>